Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here, and on behalf of my wife Erica and all of our staff and pastors, we're so glad that you're with us, especially here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest, I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Uh, and here's why. When you, I know, like for us as a church, I think it really takes more than one time to come and really get a full kind of experience of Rise. And so hopefully you're, uh, you're, this will be your first or second or third, and we'd love for you just to come back, and hopefully we can be your spiritual family. That's kind of our goal here. Uh, today we are continuing a series called Thriving in Babylon. And a few weeks ago we started this series because we wanted to talk about what it's like to live in a community or a culture that doesn't honor God when you honor God. You know, it's kind of a tough thing. I don't know if you've noticed the world, but it doesn't feel like it's getting more Christian. It feels like it's getting maybe less Christian. And you and I, as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to need to know how do you respond to certain things that happen in the culture? How do you live? What are we supposed to do? How do you actually do that? And, and in week one, I, I talked about a message about having godly convictions. And the whole reason around that was the idea that you need to be able to, in fact, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah talked and wrote a, a prophecy actually to the, the children of Israel or the people who are in Jerusalem, um, who, who came out of Jerusalem, the exiles. He wrote a, a prophecy to them. He said, Hey, look, like you're going to have to live in this tension between loyalty and subversion where you live in a culture where you honor as much as you can in the culture. You honor the leaders, you honor your, the, the, the officials, you honor the government. But look, at the end of the day, there is a subversive side to Christianity where we don't do everything that they do. And so there is a tension. It's not a black and white thing. It's not an easy issue that, to solve. And you're going to, going to have to find the, the balance, the dance, the tension inside of each of that to really not just survive in Babylon, but to thrive in it. And so we're going to be in the book of Daniel today. If you don't have a Bible, um, We'll put the Bible up on the screens here, but um, the Bible is broken up into two main points or two main sections. Uh, the first is the Old Testament. The second is the New Testament. And inside the Old Testament, you'll find Daniel kind of the middle-ish part of the Bible. And what's interesting about Daniel is the half, first half of it is historical in nature. The back half of the, of the book is kind of prof prophetic in nature. It talks a lot about Daniel's dreams. And you can get really deep into the Word of God, especially if you're trying to maybe deep dive or, or, or kind of have a word study. This is a great book to do that. But we're going to kind of focus on the historical side of really what it was like when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or, or you know the, the three guys that he was with to actually, how, how do they deal with living in Babylon? How do they deal with living in a culture that didn't honor the God that they served? And so we talked about that in week one. We talked about the idea of loyalty and subversion. And then last week, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to um, our executive pastor, Pastor Jason. He actually taught um, on, on kind of Daniel chapter two and some of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but really what it was like to honor. I think the, the premise of the book to me or this whole message was how, honoring the, the current person that's in leadership, like learning how to honor the culture that you're around. What does it mean to be loyal? How do you actually do that? How do you serve the culture that you're around? And it was in his serving that he actually was elevated and he found godly, he found meaning through a godly perspective. That's really what the second week was about, developing godly meaning through a godly lens or through a godly perspective. And so this week, we're going to look at really what I think would be uh, another step on how to thrive in Babylon. We're going to be in Daniel chapter three, Daniel chapter three, maybe the most famous of all the stories inside of Daniel, it's about Daniel when he gets tossed into the fiery furnace. And so Daniel chapter three, verse one, and I'm going to jump around and paraphrase a little bit because there's a lot to the story. And in the time we have, I'm going to try to get us some context of what's going on. So Daniel chapter one says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. So he, he brings these, um, these people from Jerusalem who does not serve the Babylonian gods. And the first, one of the first things he does is he establishes and sets up, Hey, this is going to be a new God. Here's your test. Here's how we're going to know you're with us. Or if you're not with us, you serve our God. So he sets up this image of gold. And in verse five, he says, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the 
he goes through all the musical instruments. Basically, when you hit Spotify and you hit play, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Then jump to verse 15. He says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. I find it odd, a little unique, that the Bible goes out of its way to say it was a burning, fiery furnace. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm assuming if it's a fiery furnace, yeah, it's burning. So I'm assuming that. But maybe they're saying it's really hot. And he says this interesting statement. He says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image you have set up. Do you see it? There's a subversion moment. This is the moment where they say, look, we're going to honor you. We're going to be loyal to you. But at some point, you cross the line. We don't go there. Now you're talking about God. Now you're talking about who I worship. Now you're talking about who God I serve, which God I serve, which God I worship, which God I go to, which God I, I trust in. I don't trust in the golden statue that you made. I trust in the one true God. You cross the line. Now you're causing me to be subversive. And then Nebuchadnezzar, he got mad. An expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more hot than it usually is heated. I'm, again, I'm assuming it was already hot. If you throw a person into a, whether it's, you know, 100 degrees or 1,000 degrees, I'm pretty sure they're going to die. So I'm confused by that. That's just my side thought. These are just my notes as I read the Bible. Verse 21 says, then these were men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. So they're wrapped up, they're tied up, and they're thrown in the furnace. It's, by the way, it was... It was burning. And these three men fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace and did, said in verse 24, he said, did we not cast? We could throw three dudes up in there. And the answer they said to the king, well, true that. We did. You're right. <laughs> and he answered and he said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So he threw three in there. There happens to be four. And not only that, they're just like walking around, hanging out, having tea. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and their heads were there not singed, and their cloaks were not harmed, and they had no smell of fire had come upon them. An interesting, interesting story that I find is interesting about what it's like to thrive in Babylon. Third step, how to thrive in Babylon, we're going to talk about today, is developing godly maturity. Developing godly maturity. Let's pray. God, I thank you that today, Lord, you are, are, are speaking to us here. You're giving us new life. You're giving us new hope. God, there's, there's, there's only one true God, and that's you. And I'm thankful that today, Lord, as we open your word and as we, as we uh, examine your text, God, we, we get to not just see what you have to say about the Bible, but we get to see what you have to say about us. And I pray that there would be an impartation, a transformation moment for all of us in here, that maybe there would be something, something we need to be different, to be better, to be more improved, to be mature in Christ. I ask that all in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Um, I'm not from here. I'm from um, California, but I live part of my life in uh, a place called New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Has anybody ever been to Albuquerque, New Mexico? Raise your hand if you've been to Albuquerque. Has anybody ever lived in Albuquerque? Anybody ever lived there? Raise your hand if you live. That's my people. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, so, you, you know, you, so you're all going to understand this. So growing up as a teenager in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and this is you know, over two decades now uh, ago, but, but you know, living there was interesting. Growing up as a teenager, well, well, here's what's interesting. There's um, nothing to do there. 
Like there's nothing to do there. It's the desert. It's the sand. There's just sand. There's sand. As far as the eye can see, there's sand. Like when you wake up, you look left, there's sand. You look to the right, there's sand. You look up, there's sand. Down, there's sand. It's sand everywhere. So the one thing we did as teenagers, we did a lot was four-wheeling in the desert. That was kind of the fun thing. You go out. They call it the Mesa, by the way, out there. You don't know. This is inside. I'm giving you insider information from the Burke. That's what we called it, the Burke. We don't call it Albuquerque. It's a Burke at 505. So anyway, so we were there, and we would just be like, you know, we were hanging out as a teenager. The other thing we used to do is we go to church because, you know, when you go to church, Look, when there's nothing to do, you go to church. It just is what it is. So I was at church like every night. There'd be choir practice on Thursday. There'd be prayer night on Tuesday. There'd be men's meeting on Friday. There'd be, you know, youth ministry on Wednesday. It's Saturday morning, you get up and pray again. Sunday, you have church. Sunday night, you got church. Monday, you just figure out a reason to be at church. You go pack some supplies and give some to the homeless. That's what we did. We were Christian because there ain't nothing else to do. But one of the things we used to do as a teenager is uh, we would hang out with my youth ministry because, again, I'm a teenager at that time. One time I was at home and we weren't doing nothing. My youth pastor come over to my house and be like, hey. And he's starting to rile up all like some of the guys in the youth ministry. Let's go have some fun. So, sounds good. So I jump in and because there ain't nothing to do. So we, we go down to the local. It was not 7-Eleven, but it was kind of like a 7-Eleven. It was like the local 7-Eleven, like a Quickie Mart, you know, like a, like a, a I don't remember what it's called I, you know, even nowadays. I think it was local, but it was super local. You know, it was like this Quickie Mart. So we go down and, and we get in and we get some, we get some Slurpees, you know, some slushies. And then we get some, some donuts. We get the donut holes. We get the ring dings. You know, we get like all the kids. You know, when you're a teenager, you just eat nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm surprised teenagers' bodies function at all. Because they, there's nothing you eat as a teenager that's actual food. Y'all realize that, right? Like, Funyuns are not food. Like, Takis are not food. Like, Cheetos are not food. And those little little rolls of heaven, you know, the ding-dongs and whatever, they ain't food, right? It's not real. But that's how you live. So we're there, and we're getting that. And so we had this idea. I think it was like a sugar high. We had this idea. And we're like, hey. And it came from our, I'm not, it came from our youth pastor. He said, let's go try to get, you ever been at school at night? And we were like, no, we ain't never, we don't like to be there during the day. So why are we trying to go there at night? And he like, he's like, we should go see if we can get into the school, see if there's like, just see what happens, see what school's like at night. And to a teenager, that sounds like a great time. So we were like, let's do it. Are you pastor his idea? So if he's, you know, he's like represents God. So apparently God's okay with this. So like, let's go do it. So we all got into a car and, and drove down to the school. And, uh, and this is a school that wasn't very like secure or whatever. You need to kind of walk through the, through the, um, through the campus. And so we're walking around the campus, we're trying every door to open up the door. And we finally get to a door and it opens up and it was awesome. Cause it was like, man, this thing opens up. So we open up the door and we walk in and this thing that went off, we didn't realize it was this thing called like a silent alarm went off. And I don't know if you know this about silent alarms, but they don't make no sound when they go off. And so we walk in and we think everything's cool, right? For like the first five minutes and all of a sudden we see the lights, you know, the lights. Uh, isn't it interesting about police officer lights that they can, the, the lights just shine and they get everywhere. It's like they reflect on everything. And we're like, <gasps> and we heard the sound. Woo! We're like, oh no, it's 5-0, we got to get out. We start running because that's what you do when the police officers show up. You run and you ask questions later. And so we ran and we, it, was like the poli- it was like the movies where you get around, we ran around the corner. We're like, we're free. We come around the corner and the police officer, other car, his partner was standing right there and we were caught. So we're sitting there and it was me and my friends. We're sitting on the, on the curb and I'm like, okay, how am I, you know, we're trying to figure out this. And I thought it was interesting. We're in trouble. This is a problem. Everybody say problem. Yeah, it was a problem, and, and so we're in trouble, and I thought it was interesting, as I saw each of my friends, they all reacted differently. So, like, just give me an example. So, one of my friends, he's real, like, mouthy, and, like, he's ready to fight, 
Does anybody have a friend like that? Who'd be like, when you get in trouble, you're like, shut up. Like, you're going to get us in more trouble. And he's like, I ain't going back. And I'm like, you ain't never been to no jail. Shut up. Like, you ain't going back where? You know, he's like just saying stuff he heard from the movies. I'm like, I ain't never going back to jail. Like, you ain't never been to jail. You are from a youth ministry. You in the suburbs. You don't know nothing about that. <laughs> so he's screaming at the cop. I'm like, shut up. And then you have another guy who he's a runner, so he just took off. He tried to, it, the cop turned his head, he took off and ran as far as he could. Just so you know, they run fast, so he didn't get very far. Dragged him back, he ran. Got another guy who was like very like empathetic, he was very kind, but he was trying to convince the police officer that he was innocent in all this. You know, like he's like, hey man, he was trying to con like trying to barter with them, trying to like negotiate, like look. Like, I got to be honest with you. I didn't have my, I, I was just here because they, this is all their idea. Like you, I'll turn them in. Like they were trying to turn on us. Like he was trying to turn us in. Like you take them and then let me go and I'll tell you everything that they did. I'm like, what are you doing? It got to my reaction, my response to the moment. And it's not, it's not one of my, my brightest moments, but I'm a man. As a teenager, I was, a man. I was like, I'm a man. I responded in the only way that I really felt comfortable. I cried like a baby. Like, I cried. Like, I was crying. I was like, please, please, Mr. Officer, please don't call my mom. Like, please, you don't know she pinched me at church. If she pinched me at church, what do you think she's going to do? Like, please, I was crying. I was like, please, I'll do it. I was just, no. You know, I was trying to just, I, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't want to go to jail. He's like, I ain't going back. I'm like, I can't survive. Don't do it. But the question you got to ask yourself, I think, about life, though, is like, how do you, not how do I respond, not how do my silly friends respond. How do you respond to a tough moment? Like, how do you respond when you are caught? And you standing in front of a fire and it's game time. Like how do you got to ask yourself that question? It's an interesting question because how you respond, I think, really reflects on the God that you serve. And a lot of the New Testament writers speak to these moments. It's amazing to me how many times you see how you deal with fires and temptations and trials and issues and what do you do. And they're helping us understand the way of the exile, the way of a follower of Jesus. The way the follower of Yahweh, the God who created everything, like there's a way that they respond. James speaks about it like this. He says the most controversial and dumb thing in the Bible, in my opinion. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face many trials of many kinds. That makes no sense. Can we be real? When you lose your job, James says, consider it joy. When you're fighting with your husband... Or your wife be talking out her neck at you? I mean, come on. I'm great Christian at church on Sunday. Anybody else? I got a lot of joy. I got joy, joy, joy. Down in my heart. Yeah. Where? Down in my heart. I got it at church. But when, 
Come on, when, you, when, you're on the, when you're on the curb looking at the police. And he says, you got to consider it joy because the testing of your faith and produces perseverance. The fire that you're going through or you're going to go through or you're staring at, it's going to produce something in you. And perseverance isn't the end game. He says, perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature. Everybody say mature. Mature and complete, lacking nothing. What's the point of the fire? The point of the fire is to develop mature Christ followers. It's not so you can burn. And some of us look up at God and be like, you think God like, it looks like Zeus? He's just waiting to throw a lightning bolt at you. Like you did something wrong? Good. You're going to burn. That's not the point of the fire. For a Christ follower, for an exile, the point of the fire is to develop maturity. Paul writes this into a, a letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. I like that. He says it again, mature. There it is again, mature. Mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind or every doctrine or every tweet. He said, you actually instead will be speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ. You're going to be mature like Christ. That's the point of a fire. It's for you to be mature. So the question you must ask, are you mature? And I thought I'd give maybe three ways to know if you're mature in Christ. I want to give you three ways that mature Christians respond to fires, to issues, to, to moments. Number one is this, is they see fires as opportunities, not obstacles. Now, this is different. We're talking about perspective here. This is how you look at things. This is how you see things. It's like when something bad happens to you, when you get a bad report, when you get something you didn't want, you didn't get something you expected, how do you see it? Is this, a, is this an obstacle or is it an opportunity? Daniel chapter 3 says, but if you do not worship, you shall be immediately thrown in the burning, fiery furnace. There it is again, burning again. I don't understand why they had to put burning in it. It's just in my mind. And who is the God? He says this. Don't miss it. He says, and who is the God will deliver you out of my hands? And I'm like, when I first read that, I was like, man, Nebuchadnezzar, you a punk. I mean, anybody's tough when they got all the power. You know, you get real mouthy when you got your boys and everything looks good. And I felt like when I read it, God said, look at it again. I said, I, I read it. I looked at it. He's trying to be mouthy. He said, no, look at it again. He said, don't, don't miss it. Look, look what he's asking. And I read it and said, and who is the God? And I realized Nebuchadnezzar is asking them about their God right now. He's saying, you, I saw that you posted and reposted that scripture, that daily scripture from the YouVersion Bible Lab on your wall. But now you got an issue. Now I'm waiting to see really who's the God you serve. Like, I know you're really Christian on Sunday morning. You walking in in the Sunday best, and you told all your kids to shut up when you walk into the church, and you don't make no sound. You act like we are a good family, and don't pretend you better put, you put that, you pretend like we love each other. But at home, but at home, but at home, when nobody around, but at home, see, here you're a great parent, but at home, here you're a wonderful husband, but at home, here you're an amazing wife. You look all pretty with your hair and your dress, but at home, I kind of came out wrong, but at home, right? Y'all know what I meant. Y'all, at home, when nobody looking, 
It's only you, God, and your family, and the problem exists. Who are you? Where, who's the God that you serve? Um, at some point, you can't talk about the God you serve. It's just, it's not enough. This world doesn't need to hear more people get up on the stage and say, I'd like to give thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The world needs to see it, not hear it. My wife, married to an amazing woman, she's powerful. I tell her every day I love her. Baby, I love you. And I'm really good with my mouth. Like I can say things. I'm really good with my words. So I'm really good at telling her in really intricate ways and unique moments how much I love her. My girl. You looking fine. You know, just something. Just. Just you some kind of fine. Just all of it. Just good. I love you. Love you. And, and. And the other day, we had an argument. Yeah, because I'm married. (laughs) She was upset that I didn't pick up my... I have a problem. I leave my clothes on the side of my bed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Guys, can y'all help me? Can I get a witness? Does anybody else in here leave your clothes on the side of your bed but me. Just come on. Just don't let me leave. Don't leave me hanging. Come on. Tell the truth. Tell, we got some truth tellers up in here. Okay, good. Good. So it's not that I want to leave them there. I tell my counselor all the time, I'm a really good husband in my mind. I don't want to leave them there, but they somehow they end up on the side of my bed. And my wife, she asked me, she's so nice. She, Honey, will you please pick up your clothes before I throw them in the trash. You know, stuff like that. It's not, it seems passive aggressive, but it's not, it's not, it's nice. She tells me it's clear. It's very clear. It's clear. Um, and she's like, you know, you need, you need to pick up those clothes. I said, I got you, babe. I just keep forgetting. I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting. Every day I keep telling her I love her. Every day I keep telling her I love her. I keep forgetting, keep forgetting. And one day I woke up and I somehow saw the clothes on the side of my bed. Ladies, I don't understand it. Guys, we have this weird thing, you know, where we don't see what you see sometimes. We see it, but we don't see it. And somehow the Holy Spirit maybe revealed it to me as I woke up. And I saw it. I was like, I should pick those up. So I picked up my clothes, put them in the hamper. There was no clothes on the side of my bed. My wife comes home. She sees the side of my bed. There's no clothes. And she goes, she finds me. She goes, you love me. I'm like, that's right, girl. I do love you. You know what I'm saying? I've been telling you for my, all these years. Of course I love you. Why, why are you saying that? She goes, because you picked up the clothes on the side of the bed. Come on, ladies. Is that like love language for some of y'all? Y'all like, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all just waiting and just like you're nudging your husband like right now. Just do it. Look what the pastor did. He finally got it. Maybe you finally get it right now. Write it in your notes. You're like writing it for him in his Bible. Pick up the clothes. 
But when I realized my wife didn't need me to tell her I love her, she needed me to show her I loved her. And, and, and there's people in this world, I'm just telling you, the longer we go, the more we get into this, the more odd this culture is to the, and, and in odd, at odds to the Christian culture that you and I live in, the more you're going to have to show people about your God. You're not going to have to tell them. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar needed to be shown the God. He asked, who's the God? You see it? You talk like you're a big Christian. Who's the God you're talking about? And they could have in that moment made it about themselves. They didn't. And every fire, every tough moment, every problem is an opportunity for you to show the, the world the character of the God you serve. So spiritually mature people see the bigger picture. Spiritually immature people only see themselves. And whenever there's a problem, the huge, big, gigantic temptation for all of us is to make it about you. Like those guys at that moment could have made it about them. Self-preservation, self-taking care of, like we about to die. Let's just worship the idol. I mean, it's just one small compromise. We don't need to be subversive here. That fire looks hot. The Bible says it's burning. And they could have made it about them, but, but they didn't. They, they acted in a way that people were watching them because they were. So the question, you, you have to ask, what do you do when something goes wrong in your life? introspective time like I want you to think right now what, 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 what's the last the last major issue you went through how did you react or respond how did you do that are you the guy that when something bad goes on your whole family has to hide from you for a week Are you, are you the lady who, when something happens, you emotionally crumble to the point where no one can actually get anything from you and your family sees you disappear? Are you the person that when something bad happens, the first thing you do is instead of going to the word of God or to the friends of God or to your knees on God, you go to the social media app of your choice and start up the camera and push the reverse to make it not showing out there to showing you. And then you say things that sound Christian but are very not. And you say things like, would you just pray for me because I don't know how I'm going to do that. And people are looking at you. And they're wondering, who is this God? It's going to save you. I mean, like, this is a big deal. Like, we don't just represent you. When you joined Team Jesus, you said, die to me, live for him. And that meant everything. So you just have to ask yourself, when you're standing in front of the furnace and everybody's looking at you, who is the God that's going to save you? Stress, in so many ways, is our inability to trust the character of God. And if you're not prepared in your heart to be mature before the moment, you won't be prepared to be mature in the moment. Number two, no, nobody likes that point. 
So I'll go to the next one. Number two, sacrifice. They, they, spiritual mature people, they sacrifice to elevate others. This is interesting. Verse 16 says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You ain't nobody. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. In fact, they even go on and say, but even if he doesn't, we ain't going to do it. Even if he doesn't, it's like this, even if he doesn't faith, even if, even if he, even if something different happens the way my plans had happened, even if it doesn't work out the way I thought, even if it doesn't show up the way he, he doesn't show up the way I thought he was going to show up. I just want you to know, like, we ain't going to change. We're willing to sacrifice so that other people can see the God we serve. We're, we're willing, we're willing to do what we need to do, even if other people aren't. Spiritually mature people always sacrifice their needs to elevate others. Immature people, spiritually immature people, they always sacrifice others' needs to elevate themselves. It's the most selfish thing you could do to be immature as a Christian. You know, you know, you know that, right? To have any selfishness in you, to make it anything about you in any way, it, it, is, the, it is the most anti-God thing you could do. Because God in his very nature is a giving, serving, loving, merciful God that came and sacrificed for all of mankind. And, and even in Romans, as Paul speaks to us, he says, here's how you sacrifice. Here's how you sacrifice. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? As a, as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Like your job and your goal is to not die for God. Your job and your goal is to live for him. Yeah. It's to live for him. That your sacrifice comes every day in your moments. Not in one moment. In your moments, plural, with an S. And, and, and it, it looks uniquely different than you maybe think. It's smaller and simpler than maybe you think. The other night, I was reading to my kids, and I'm supposed to like reading my kids because, like, I was reading them the Bible, and I'm, like, a Christian, and I, I'm a pastor, and I love Jesus, and I'm trying to follow the word, and, but I, there's just times where I don't. Can I get an amen from any of the parents who are honest about reading the kids at night? <laughs> like, I just don't. And sometimes I, I'm okay with it, and sometimes it's just annoying. I got five. And so they sit around. And if you've ever tried to read to five boys that are little, have you ever tried to read to five kids? Like, it's, it's so hard. And, like, one of them's, you know, they're like, stop, stop touching me and stop biting me and stop looking at me and don't look at my way. And he, to he tooted, and now he farted, and now it's like, what the heck is going on? And why is that thing? And then somebody's hitting the book. Somebody grabbed the book and threw it. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. We do, we're trying to do this every night, and every night we have the same fight, and I just don't want to. And what I do is I do the parent trick. Y'all know the parent trick for reading a book. What I'll do is I'm like, all right, in the beginning, and then I'll go, hey, look over there. And I fast forward a couple of pages, and I get to the end, and it ended. There you go. Hey, man, let's pray. And I kind of move on and get through. That's a parent hack just so y'all know you're welcome that's free and so i didn't even in my notes and so i think like i want to like it but but i just i'm over it and then i walked by the other night my wife was reading a book to my kids and like i'm not kidding you i walked by and i looked in i had to do a double take i did like i walked in and i like and the kids were all circled it like it looked like a perfect semicircle. she was sitting right in the middle I'm pretty sure there was like a glow about the circle. I, I thought I heard King James words like, Mothereth, you are a so a goodeth at reading a booketh to us. We shall go to bed now with no problems. I'm like, okay. And she just read it and she had a smile on her face. And she's just ministering to my kids. And I'm like, you're the best. So I go downstairs and I'm in my room. She walks into the room and 
I go, babe, you must just like love to read to your kids. And she stopped. She goes, I don't like reading to our kids. You made them. They're all like you. I'm like, okay. I didn't expect that. Was there a follow-up to that? She goes, no, I don't like it. And I was like, well, but it looked like you, like you loved it. She goes, no, I, but I, I do it because I know my purpose. Because I'm the mom, they're the kids. My job is to read to my children, to train them up as they should be so that when they grow up, they don't depart from it. So I have a purpose in what I'm trying to do. I don't like it, but I'm sacrificing so I can elevate them. I'm like, that's what a mature Christian does. That, that's what they, mature, mature Christians talk like that. You know what immature Christians sound like? Why not, why don't you do it the way I want to do it? Why can't we play the song that I want to play in church? Why can't we talk about the Bible of the book that I want and the version that I want because it's the one that I read at home that I can't understand? I want to do that one. We whine. I'm, I'm just being honest. Like, isn't it true? Like, I walk in here sometimes, I'm like, I don't want to do it that way. <sighs> Let's do it something else. Uh, I'm, we, we all fight it. It's the immaturity in us that needs to die. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, where has God called you to sacrifice your needs, your preferences, your wants, your opinions, to sacrifice you so that others can be elevated? Could look like maybe turning the TV off at home and playing with your kids. Going outside into the thousand degree weather, <laughs> drinking a lot of water, cursing the sky, and throwing a baseball with your child. Could be cleaning up your house. Could be serving your husband. Could be loving your wife. Could be serving here at Rise. Shameless plug. <laughs> I told somebody the other day, or it was, a, it was at Next Steps yesterday. I was at Next Steps. I was teaching Next Steps class, which, by the way, you need to get into some Next Steps class. It's like, it's awesome. Um, and I told, I told our, our class, I said, church, if you come to church for just entertainment to just come sit and hang out, there's way better options out there for that. Like, you realize, like, there's much more entertaining things to do with your time than to come to church on Sunday and just sit and watch and see if I tell a good joke. Or if the music was decent. Like there's way better entertainment options out there. Because church wasn't designed for you to come and see. Church was designed for you to come and do. And every time somebody enters from the, from like the, from like the spectator to participator, they get they, they, they come tell me the same. It's amazing. Why didn't you ask me to do this before? And I'm like, I did. <laughs> because it's designed to be experienced. And you know what's going to, what, here's what's funny about that, though. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to come in earlier. I know. <laughs> but you're going to be like, they made me. They asked me to stack chairs. Yeah. They asked me to mop the floors. Yeah. They asked me to park cars. Yeah. They asked me to watch a child and teach them about God. Yeah. Because the mature people who know God don't come to church trying to get God. They already got it all week long. 
They come to church trying to help those who are immature in Christ. That's not a down thing. That's not like a, that's not a diss. That is a fact. That is a is thing. That is, you don't know a lot about God. You are young in the Lord. Therefore you, by definition, you are immature and you're doing the greatest thing is coming to church so that you can mature. But if you are mature, you don't whine about all the immature people getting the things that you should be getting because you're mature. Y'all realize. So Paul admonishes us, be a living sacrifice. The last one is this, and it's fall well, and I'm done. Fall well. Spiritually mature people fall well. Daniel chapter 3 says, and these three men fell bound into the fiery furnace, and then they asked, didn't we throw three guys in there? And he said, true that, King Nebu, you the man, but you wrong now. He says, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. I find it interesting that as the, the Bible would point out, that they fell into the furnace. And I, I thought, you know, it's often how we fall that determines our level of hurt. Like, some people don't know how to fall. Like, some people don't know how to fail. Some people don't know how to do something wrong. Like, when something bad happens, they just crumble. Like, crumble. And it actually makes it worse. I'll give you an example. One of my favorite games to play with my sons is I sit on the couch, I have a pillow, and I tell them to run, and then I hit them with it. It's awesome. If you don't do this with your kids, you need to do it right now. It works for little kids. It works for toddlers. It works for preteens. It works for teenagers. It's awesome. It's, the, it's, 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 it's me throwing pillows at my children. And um, what I noticed, though, is that, like, they're all different ages. So I have 14-year-old, 11-year-old, 8-year-old, 5-year-old. My 14-year-olds are, are twins. Mm. They all take the pillow differently. So like my 5-year-old, a strong breeze. I don't even have to hit him with the pillow. It can fly by them. He can literally, Winston can, it'll fly by him. He'll be so offended that I threw a pillow at him. He'll crumble like Gumby. Oh! And I've noticed that like when he falls... Because he falls ridiculously, you know, like he's so overdramatic when he falls. He's been so overdramatic when he falls that the thing that made him fall didn't hurt him. It was how he fell that made him hurt. That got him hurt. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on, kid. Y'all know you have a kid. And it's how you fall that will determine whether or not you get hurt oftentimes. And as they get older, you know, my, my eight-year-old, now he can kind of, he can juke it a little bit. My 11-year-old, he can not only juke, he can hop it, jump, skip. Does the, you know, he does the, what's that game where you go under the bar? Yeah, Matrix, yeah. Like, he does the Matrix thing. And my 14-year-olds are getting really good at it. So now, at this point, they catch it and throw it back. And the question you have to ask yourself is, in a moment, when you're in a fight, when you're, when you're wrestling with something, when you're in a fire, like, how do you fall? How do you fall? How do you fall? Because if you're a little kid, if you're an emotional person, if you're too emotional, if you're too immature, if you're too like where somebody fell, broke my leg. My kid says that every time. Does anybody ever say, like, do you have a kid who's like overly dramatic? They could stub their toe. It's like, I broke my leg. And you're like, doesn't look broken. Okay. But there are some people who fall like that. Like you had a bad day at work. I hate my job. God has forsaken me. And you're like, or you just had a bad 
day of work? You may have a friend like that or like a family member. If you don't, it might be you. So like, just be careful. And like, it's just how you fall determines. Because I really think this, the more you get mature in Christ, the more you start to, I think, elevate your moments of falling. You fall differently. You, you juke stuff. You, you learn how to step over things. You can matrix a little bit of things that the enemy's throwing at you. In fact, I think of hopefully the goal is to get to some maturity to where somebody gets, somebody gets thrown at you by Satan. You pick it up, throw it right back. So like, I'm not going to fall like that. And when they, the Bible says they fell into the fiery furnace and, and it shows the spiritually mature people, they respond, they don't react. They, that immature people, they, they react and they don't respond. So they don't take the moment to sit and, and allow God to, here's how you really respond. Can I just tell you this? This is really good. I didn't explain this in first service quite as well, but this is really good. When you respond to God, this is how responding looks like as a Christian and I'm done. So if you didn't take any notes, this is worth the price of it. This is what you tell your wife when she asked you what you learned, okay? So you pretend like you were listening. Okay, so like, when you respond, here's how you respond to God. Responding is pausing for just a moment before you do anything. Something happens, you pause. And it's that space that allows God to come into it. Because I don't know if you're like me, something happens to me, I want to react right away. You punch me, I punch back. You push me, I push back. You get mad at me, I get mad right back. You get offended at me, I get offended right back. I'll give it back to you. Like, I'm good at that. But God's telling me, look, no, 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 no. Mature people, what they do, you know what they do? Something happens, and they go, wait, 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 wait. Where's God in this? Where's God in this? Because what they did, they fell, and then all of a sudden, what happened? The fourth guy showed up, which most theologians think is a theophany, which is the pre-incarnate emergent of Christ. So they... Most people believe it's Jesus. And so Jesus enters into this. What happened? They fell. Pause. Jesus enters in. I'm just saying, in your moment, in your crisis, maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you're about to go through something. You need to write this down. This is how Christians do it. This is how mature people do it. They, something happens to them. They don't respond and react. They don't get on Facebook or Instagram right away and say what they think. They don't go to their parents and scream. They don't go to their friends and cry. They don't do, they wait. They go, wait, 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 wait. And they ask the question, where's God in all this? Where's, what's God doing? And when you make that space, that, that you create that space, God enters in. And I'm done. But I thought, my last thought was, I thought it was interesting. They fell into the fire bound. And the Bible says that when they fell into the fire, they became unbound. And I thought, so it was the fire that set them free. It was the fire that actually elevated them. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And I was thinking about that. I was like, I was thinking about all my problems I've ever had, any major situations I've ever gone through. And I can just look, it made me just look up to heaven and say, God, thank you. Thank you for the fires that you, you allowed in my life because it was those fires that elevated me. It unbound me. It took the bounds off of me. It made me believe that you were real. It gave me an opportunity to grow my faith. I'm a better man. I'm a better person because you allowed some of these fires to come into my life. And I know you might be in one right now and you're just praying God to remove them. But I'm just saying it could be in this moment, God's removing, he's allowing the fire to remove some bounds that you've had on your life since birth. Some lies you believed about your life since birth. And he's showing up and he's showing out. And he's answering the prayer that Nebuchadnezzar, or the question that Nebuchadnezzar asked. Who's the God you serve? They saw him in the fire. It's not that God keeps us from him. But maybe the promise is that God will be with us in the fire.